This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su Anne. The Melaka Chitty Kitchen is more than just a collection of recipes, but it's a book representing a slice of Melaka Chitty culture, which is becoming endangered as the community is a small one and is only growing smaller. So through the book, the community hopes to offer readers a culinary journey through their culture and we'll find out more about it from Roy Anandan Padiachi, the project director of the Melaka Chitty Kitchen, as well as the Vice President of the Malacca Chitty Heritage Association of Malaysia, um, and also two writers of the book, Julie Wong and Dr. David Neo. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hi, Joanne. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Hi, thank you for having us. Glad to have all of you on. Um, maybe I'll start with you first, Roy. For those of us who are unfamiliar with the Malacca Chetty culture, and, and I say this myself included, you know, maybe you could give us a bit of a background into um, the community. Sure. Um, let me start with the bigger picture, right? Mm. So the Malacca Chetty community is a, it's an ethnic group of mixed ancestry community, mm-hmm. or better known as the Pranakans, mm. which also means locally born. The most talked about or most known amongst the Pranakan communities are the Babas and Nyonyas, or mm-hmm. the Pranakan Chinese. And the lesser known Pranakans are, just to name a few, the Pranakan Jawi, and also the Pranakan India, or the Malacca Chetis. Uh, the Malacca Chetis is a locally born ethnic group back in the 1400s, uh, when the South Indian traders from the Coromandel coast had sailed to Malacca to trade and later married with the locals, Chinese and Jawas and Bataks and others. Birth out of that union are the Malacca Chetty communities. Our mother tongue uh, is Malay, mm-hmm. or Bazaar Malay, and has a unique food heritage of Malay, Indian, and Chinese traces. How would you describe what um, Malacca Chetty food is? Because I think a lot of fam- a lot of us are quite familiar with Pranakan food, but particularly the Pranakan Chinese food. Um, but yeah, what, what is um, Malacca Chetty food? It's actually almost very similar because mm. we, are, we are an assimilated community mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Um, but let me just say something very quickly here. As the writer of the book has put it, um, I quote, a beautiful lesson in harmony, Malay, Indian and Chinese are part of the flavours, unquote. Uh, you'll find many flavours from the Malay heritage like the Asam Padas, the masalama mixed with the Indian and Chinese heritage. Mm-hmm. Somehow the taste blends. It's a bit contrasting but it blends lah. Mm. Uh, all in all, in my opinion, the Malacca Chetty food is just a, a, a creolized uh, uh, food heritage from the past. Mm. Um, David, what sparked the idea of documenting these recipes, making it into a book? You know, uh, where did it start? I guess when I came, um, soon sort of like after getting to know the community, I realised that there was actually no cookbook mm-hmm. um, on, uh, well, on Laka Chitti um, cuisine. So I actually approached them and uh, a few times and was actually spurned. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we actually went to um, to the Singapore Chitties, it's like, mm. you know, and actually got um, a National Heritage Board grant for them. And then um, then that fell through. It's like, you know, uh, this was picked up again, um, I guess, in, in Malaysia. And I'm glad, you know, it sort of like uh, has become a Malaysian project. Um, and so, yeah, 
you know, all that took close to a, a decade to wow. to sort of like uh, yeah happen. Um, Yes, so so that was that was the initial idea because I saw that you know there wasn't anything that was out there, mm. and I guess this is also very much um, family guarded uh, recipes. It's like you know, mm. and I think part of the reason why the community was you know um, resistant was really because yeah, you know, it is uh, a very much family. Uh, sort of recipes that have been handed down from generation to generation. Mm. And I'm assuming like many other family recipes, each family would have their own variation on the recipes also, right? Exactly. It's like, you know, so very much like the Pranakan Chinese, it's like, you know, they're always kind of like fighting, oh, you know, this is <laughs> this is not right or this is... <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, yes. So, so that's really kind of like interesting with the variation. I mean, even the rituals I have found that, you know... Um, yeah, some some families have just variations in terms of how they observe certain things. Hmm. Um, how did you get involved in this as well, Judy? I'm not sure if David trapped me into it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, that but, was a good trap. <laughs> yeah, but one night, you know, uh, we we born actually uh, over our common interests in the Peranakan culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not Peranakan, but I'm just you know very interested in the culture. So one night he invited me for dinner, prepared a lavish spread for me, and then he popped the question, oh, <laughs> you know whether, yeah, I would like to do a cookbook on the Malacca Chattis. So um, at that time, I actually took, have taken an early retirement, so mm. I actually had time on my hand. So I said, hey, actually, this is exactly the kind of thing that I would like to do now, you know. Mm. So yeah, that's how it started. Mm. I know both of you have done a lot of work in, with really in relation to the Pranakan culture, um, including on the food aspect of things. Uh, David, how did your experience in the past, your your background, like help or influence what you did in this particular project? Well, I suppose my sort of uh, commitment, <laughs> sort of like you know, uh, the Pranakan culture. That well, I returned to this part of the world because I was away for about two and a half decades overseas. Mm. It's like you know, so I actually returned wanting to uh, contribute academically to the Pranakan cultures. It's like um, yeah, so so that's sort of like what I'm been trying to do in the past 10 year, years here, trying to basically um, build a research niche on, on the Pranakan. So, um, so conveniently sort of like, you know, got to know the, um, the Chitti community. It's like, you know, and saw a lot of similarities and a, a lot of differences as well. It's like, you know, so, um, I, and I think it's because you three um, Pranakan communities, your Baba Nonya, Chittis and the Eurasians were in living in close proximity mm-hmm. that, you know, you have a lot of, um, I, I think, or even some of the Chittis, I think have sort of like said that the ancestral worship of their Pachu probably came from um, the Pranakan Chinese. Mm. So, but you see so much differences because it's like, you know, it's totally adapted to an Indian style. It's all done on banana leaves mm. and, um, yeah, you know, with with their rituals. So it's really fascinating in terms of, you know, uh, how, sim- how similar or, or similarities and yet very different as well. Mm. Roy, on your end, you know, I guess what made the association, the community also wanted to be part of this? Well, we've we've always had the the objective of uh, you know 
publishing our own book, mm. uh, particularly in this uh, in this area of uh, culinary <coughs> uh, books, which we don't we know today is non-existent, mm. um, at least in Malaysia. So, uh, for Malacca City Food, so. Um, when the opportunity came came about, we just jumped on it and we said, "Hey, you know, let let's do it." And and more importantly, the fact that you know, um, we needed to document something. Mm. Uh, we needed to keep the heritage alive. Uh, we needed to ensure that you know it survives the the, the future generations. Uh, and if we don't, I mean, it could just disappear with us uh, with my time, uh, my generation. So we thought it's a good opportunity to put it down and uh, put it down on record. Mm, all right. Um, we'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion. When we come back on the show with me today are Roy Anantan Padiaji, Julie Wong and Dr. David Neo, all who are part of this project of um, coming up with this Malacca Chitty Kitchen book, which is a collection of recipes um, of the food that's unique to the Malacca Chitty community. We'll be right back after a quick break. So keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Today we are talking about the Malacca Chitty Kitchen, which is a collection of recipes of food that is unique to the Malacca Chitty community. Um, and joining me to talk about this today are some of the people who have made the book possible. Um, Roy Anandan Padiachi, uh, who is the project director. He's also the vice president of the Malacca Chitty Heritage Association of Malaysia. Also joining us are Julie Wong and Dr. David Neo, both writers of the cookbook. Um, I want to talk more about the process of coming up with this book. I understand that it you know, as David mentioned earlier, it's been um, the work of years of it's been years of work going into this. Um, but I also know that the process hasn't been easy. Julie, could you walk us through what was it like from the moment you got on board and and the process of doing that whole research and development, deciding what to include, what not to include, and also like putting it on paper. Mm. So. Um the first thing we agreed was on the aims and objectives of the book, mm -hmm. uh, which is to document the re recipes of a community to preserve it. So we also want to record not only recipes, but also their food sto stories. Um, like any kind of documentation, you need to go through a process. So we started with making a list of all the dishes that the Malacca Chetty is considered to be typical Malacca Chetty food. Mm -hmm. This took quite some time as they debated and agonised over the list. Mm -hmm. uh, what to leave out was excruciatingly painful as they were quite protective <laughs> mm -hmm. of the culture. But we, we actually had to leave out some recipes due to pitch and cost con constraints. Mm. Uh, but these tend to be recipes that are common to other ethnic groups as well, uh, we made sure that the uniquely Malacca Chetty recipes and recipes that are important to the culture are in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting thing is, <clears throat> once the list was decided, we could then analyse the cuisine and see some patterns and categories and how best to fit them in together. I didn't want to do the usual categorizing of cookbooks according to meals such as breakfast, lunch and dinner mm -hmm. or meat types like poultry, meat and seafood. Mm -hmm. 
And I was very pleased when one of the recipe contributors, uh, actually there are four main recipe contributors. So when Santa Chiti came out with a final categorization, according to genres like pickles, sambals, asam pedas, masak lemak, and things like our Indian heritage, our Chinese heritage, uh, immediately you could see what their cuisine is all about by just scanning the categories. Mm -hmm. So you can see that it's mostly Malay food with Indian and Chinese con contributions. And scattered among these are the gems, you know, the uniquely Malacca chatty dishes. For example? Um, for example, Roy, you're oh, You've got <laughs> the pindang, the most famous uh, kuah pindang. Uh, you've got the uh, uh, sambal limbing uh, teluikan. Uh, these are very unique uh, uh, dishes yes. of the Malakajiti mm. community. Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, one dish that I thought, you know, I actually showed up how uh, sustainable they mm. are. Actually, is where they recycled the cucumber skin mm -hmm. and made it into a very delicious sambal. Oh, yeah. you know, sambal urap kulit timun. Yes, yeah. and actually throughout the process too, uh, just like um, how they use tamarind, for example, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they will keep saying that uh, you you don't just extract one time and throw it away. So you can actually repeat the extraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, in the recipe book, actually, we don't always ask you to repeat. You know, because it's just. Yeah, because they use uh, tamarind in almost every dish and I don't want to be repeating that all the time. Mm. <laughs> but I did explain at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we have uh, this chapter called In the Malacca Chatty Kitchen where we explain all the uh, techniques and ingredients. So we were mindful to explain all that, yeah, right at the front. So if you need, you can always refer back to the front. Yeah. A lot of recipes, I guess, in traditional kitchens are all agar-agar. Was that a problem for you, Julie? Oh, yes. It was <laughs> a very big problem. Uh, so the main thing is that we have four different recipe contributors. So actually, each of them have a different way of cooking, mm. you know. And and they find it, uh, but of course for the book, I need to more or less uh, have some form of consistency, right? Uh, so... One, for example, one recipe contributor, she would actually uh, go out to the backyard and pluck the coconut and after that crack it and grate it and express the milk herself. Uh, but of course, that is not practical for a lot of us, <laughs> especially for uh, readers of the book, that wouldn't be possible at all. And Another likes to use uh, UHT packet coconut milk, which mm. is a lot more con con convenient. Mm. So both methods are doable, but without uh, the best way is to actually use fresh coconut milk, mm -hmm. which everybody can access from from the market. Mm -hmm. So of course, some of them who don't cook this way have a lot of difficulty. <laughs> you know, to give us the right quantity. So the other thing is that uh, we wanted everyone to be able to replicate 
the recipes. So we have like insisted from the start that everything needs to be in grams. So that's mm. the most precise way, precise way of uh, doing things. So for them, that is really a strange thing. You know, they <laughs> never weigh anything. They don't even own a digital scale. <laughs> so yeah. So I think with uh, some of them, their daughters had to help them. Mm. So yeah, become an intermediary between them and the final recipes. Yeah. So I also give them a list of how to write the rest recipes. So mm. there is certain procedures that you need to follow, like uh, how to list the in- ingredients. For example, mm-hmm. so that actually, basically, everybody is on the same page, and the book has certain a certain system and mm. consistency. Yeah, it it has to be standardized in a certain way so that it's easy to read by whoever that's using yes. the book, right? So we we also have in mind to cater to the international readers, so mm. like uh, readers from abroad. So we need to make it like uh, according to international standards as well. Yeah, Right, I should have asked this earlier, but besides the three of you, who else were part of this process? Um, Julie has uh, sort of um, alluded to four other recipe contributors. Um, do you want to share a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so other than the writers themselves, we've got uh, four main recipe contributors, uh, mainly Madam Nancy Goh, uh, who is uh, Pranakan Chinese of descent, uh, married into a Melaka Chetty uh, family, uh, who's also my mom. Um, you've got uh, Danapakyam Ratnasami, uh, who's also a Melakachiti um, Kwe expert. Mm. Um, and you've got Muda Sandachiti, who, um, who is of uh, Chinese uh, Melakachiti descent. Um, and then you've got uh, Madam, the late uh, Madam Indrani Pillay. So these are the four main contributors uh, of the, the entire book. Um, and then you've got, like Julius mentioned, the uh, intermediaries, the collaborators, we call them, uh, who basically takes their recipe, written recipe of all this aga-aga and converting it into some sort of grammage, mm. um, helping them with putting some some format to it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so basically that's, 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 those are the people involved in the whole project. Yeah. Mm. Do you have a favorite recipe in the book, Roy? <laughs> None other than the Lao Pindang, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite is Lao Pindang together with uh, uh, Bendi Bawang Goreng Chili. Mm. Yeah. I feel like we're going to end up making a lot of our listeners hungry just <laughs> listening to this. I know I am already. Speaking about it, I am too. So, <laughs> um, David, what was, I guess, was there anything that surprised you in this process? Anything that you learned along the way? I guess the similarities and the differences, it's like, yeah. Um, and, and I guess all that kind of, you know, added to uh, to my understanding of Pranakan cultures and um, yeah, how, how they would have evolved um, through time in this area. Uh, yes, and, and I guess really feeling very at home with mm. the Chitis is like... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, in terms of you know the 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 language and um and and just culturally, so yeah. Mm. I mean, part of I guess tra- traditionally recipes are passed down, you know, in the family home, in the kitchen. Um, you know, part of that process is that whole 
bonding time, right, between the older generation and the younger generations, um, learning the stories that are linked to a recipe. I guess, do you think we'll lose that when people are learning these recipes through a book? Do we do we potentially risk losing understanding what the culture is about? Well, I definitely, it's like, you know, but we were also quite conscious in trying to capture that mm-hmm. in the cookbook. Mm-hmm. So uh, so, it was, so it's not just a cookbook, but we were really trying to give a glimpse of the culture as well um, and, and sharing anecdotes and, and stories surrounding food um, with the cookbook. So, so, so we hope that you know that that kind of like you know brings that aspect in to the cookbook. It's not just a straight up recipe exactly. list, lah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I I actually agree with you that the family would lose out on bonding opportunities mm. if the younger generation learn to cook from a book. But in in reality, this normal learning process has been in, interrupted in modern Malaysian mm-hmm. societies. Uh, Take a typical family of two working parents with two two kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the priority is academic performance and extracurricular pursuits. So it's not cooking. And if the family has a live-in domestic helper, she'll be the one doing the cooking and mummy wouldn't need any help in the kitchen. In the past, we learned by helping our mother. Mm. Today, families born through watching movies together or playing games, you know, not so much uh, stirring up a pot of hot curry. Uh, and when you throw globalization, industrialization, and urbanization into the picture, you won't have a kid who would ask, Hey, mom, can you teach me how to make kuih kochi? You know, or daun murungkai masalama. It's more likely to say, I want to make sushi or I want to cook like Gordon Ramsay. Mm. So um, I'll give you a more concrete example, you know, of what I have observed while doing this book. Mm-hmm. Take the Padiachi family, for example. Uh, the daughters, Nimala and Shanta, would help uh, their mom, Nancy, to compile the recipe for this book. But every time that I ask a question about a recipe that they had submitted, Neither of the sisters were able to answer me without referring to mum. So, Nyamala and Santa are in the 40s or 50s, I'm not sure. I don't think you want to say that out loud. But. <laughs> <laughs> and even when they have not fully, uh, and even they at this age have not fully mastered Malacca Chetty cooking, being too busy with their careers and families. My conclusion is that the generation of... Uh, Nancy, Dunham and Sandra, Chiti and Indrani are the last generation of cooks that understand and know the cuisine intimately because they had learned alongside their mothers. So to answer the question whether uh, uh, Malaysian families in general, not just Malacca Chetty families, they are losing this bonding through traditional cooking. If they cook together, it's more likely to make a batch of chocolate chip cookies and not kanda kasturi. We cannot uh, stop globalization nor modernization, but we can put in a bit of insurance in the form of the cookbook to ensure that the cuisine is not lost and when the children, be they kids or adults, are ready for their own ethnic food, the recipes are there. Uh, Whether mother or grandmother are still there or not isn't an issue. The recipes are not perfect, but they are something solid to go on. 
but actually, the Malacca cheese they have a trump card in the form of their customary pachu bogi practice of ancestor worship that facilitates family bonding and helps ensure that recipes are passed down through the generations. I'm sure Roy would like to explain this, how uh, you born through yeah, pa- I mean, Pachu. Yeah. Sure. I mean, exactly. The, the, a lot of the Mlakacheti festivity involves uh, family gatherings, mm-hmm. right? Um, I remember when I was growing up, uh, most Mlakacheti homes had... Um, f- many family members living together under one roof. Mm. Um, it's multi generational. That's right. That's right. And but today, due to economic reasons and better employment, uh, seeking for better employment opportunities, these families are now moving out of the kampong and moving out of the houses, and uh, seeking better um, opportunities elsewhere. Um, and for me, the Pacho Bogi is one one of several occasions that allows for this family bonding to happen. Uh, and that's where, as well, the, the, the passing down of the recipes uh, happens as well, uh, along with sharing of those little family stories and the gossips and, and everything else that happens, you know. Uh, we, we come back um, once a year for, for Pachu Bogi. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in my family, per se, uh, we all get together and start cooking. So the, the kitchen is not pure, predominantly just women. Mm-hmm. So the guys actually come out and help out as well, particularly in some food like uh, the pulut tekan, you know, where you need a little bit of a muscle, so, you know, to compress the, the pulut. So the men actually get involved as well. So, and um, uh, the veneration to the whole, uh, our ancestors, um, you know, kind of sort of give us that, 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 kin, that you know, relationship to our past mm. uh, and, you know, be, make us wonder, you know, what, how it was and, and give us a deeper appreciation of our roots. What does it mean to you now to have all these recipes sort of in a physical form in a book? Wow, I, I, I let me let me put it this way. I mean, the the purpose of what we're doing is uh, to ensure that the the legacy continues um, with the help of Julie, David, and also the four recipe contributors uh, to ensure that the 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 food heritage, unique food heritage, doesn't die off, mm. right? Um, I, I, I see my, I would hope that my children will one day, uh, with the help of the book, will be able to understand uh, their, their unique heritage mm. uh, and have a deeper appreciation of, of their roots, right? Have a sense of belonging. Um, at the same point in time, um, sharing knowledge, right? Uh, we want the other communities out there to also understand who we are and, 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 and how we, 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 we live our life, um, you know, um, and... and to ensure that this legacy continues. Mm. We've been touching on, I guess, this idea of food and, and modernization that, that, you know, you can't really avoid. And I guess with a lot of traditional food these days, right, we see evolution and we see modernization. I guess I want to know what all your takes are on this. You know, I'll start with you, David. I mean, especially when it's, when it's tied to culture, should it change, be modernized, evolve with the times or to stay the same? I really am kind of ambivalent about mm. this. It's like, you know, because on on one hand, um, 
Like I kind of gasp that blue rice is at Pranakan restaurants these days. <laughs> it's like you know because I'm just go. I never grew up eating blue rice. We only stain our glutinous rice or pulut blue for desserts, right? It's like, but you know people are telling me, oh, you know, we just had blue rice, and, and so you know, I I don't know what to think about that because. Mm. I'm sure along the way our Pranakan cuisine have also evolved and changed, and yeah, you know, um, it's not static. Exactly, right? no culture is static, right? So um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure how to balance that. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. like you know, on on um, on one hand, it's like I mean. Being a Pranakan Chinese myself, I also have um, my own food heritage that I've inherited from my grandmother. It's like, you know, so growing up and knowing sort of like, you know, what a Pranakan kitchen is all about and sort of like seeing all these new modifications mm. um, to a certain extent horrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, so I, like I said, I'm ambivalent about, you know, that, that question because I do understand that no culture stays the same mm. um, and we do have to sort of like change and evolve. Um, but where is authenticity or is this whole idea of authenticity, you know, uh, a figment of our imagination? Mm, yeah. Truly? Mm. Um. I think it's impossible for food to say, stay exactly the same over a period of time. You know, everything changes. Uh, just take the climate changes that are ha- happening right now. You know, all, all this affects the quality of the ingredients and in our food. In the book, uh, we talk about how the belangkas, you know, which is the horseshoe crab, was common on Malacca be- beaches in the past. But it's almost endangered now, and so we can no longer eat it, you know. They have a recipe for making sambal blancas, but they no longer can find blancas to mm. make that dish. So also take the multitude of lifestyle diseases that we are facing now. You know, doctors are telling us to cut down on fats and sugar, or better still, to cut them out. So recipes need to be adapted to suit health requirements as well. <laughs> right, I'm sure you've also seen recipes sort of change between families or as it's been handed down from one generation to another. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, that's the evolution of uh, food and uh, cultures uh, uh, along with time is it's, uh, something that we, we will not be able to, to, to defend, right? Mm. Uh, it's bound to happen. Uh, lifestyle changes, climate and everything else. Um, and we talked about modernization, urbanization, globalization, all that comes into play. But at the same point in time, I think it's also important for us to uh, record uh, this uh, food heritage or this unique uh, cultural heritage uh, to ensure that for posterity reasons, mm. right? To ensure that the younger generation uh, do not forget who they are and, uh, um, and, and understand how things were before. Um, I think what what I can say here is that the the our our book uh, and I, and I like to call it the culinary history book, right? It's not merely a a, a book, uh, but it symbolizes uh, you know it's just not merely ingredients and cooking techniques, but it symbolizes uh, a commitment to to preserve and conserve uh, our food heritage, our unique heritage. Um, so and, and as such, and that's why we're doing uh, what we're doing. Yeah. So. Actually, we don't need to fear this this change, mm. you know. Uh, so that 
brings back again why it's so important to do this book. Yeah. So um, once all these traditional recipes have been documented, we can actually go ahead and change the recipe. It's not an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whenever you f- feel like doing the very traditional version of the dish, you can always come back to it. Uh, French cooking actually famously has is La Rousse Gastronomic and the Escoffier cookbook. And that's why they have no fear of losing their cooking culture and can go ahead and in- innovate which actually resulted in the Nouvelle Cuisine movement. Mm-hmm. So with this good book, you know, once you have codified everything, uh, we can move on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right, where can people um, get themselves a copy of the Mlakachiti Kitchen? For the moment, uh, the books are available in uh, Ghibli uh, Bangsa Village and also uh, will be available in uh, Ghibli Johor Bahru. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Malacca, you, we, you could, one could purchase it from the Bandahari uh, in Malacca uh, or even pre-order it at uh, Uh The Prasatuan Warisan Chetty Malacca Malaysia or Malacca Chetty Heritage Associations of Malaysia's website. Um, but if I may, I just would like to add something else in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suen is that, you know, um, since these this recipes are from the community, mm-hmm. um, uh, we felt that it was only right to ensure that the community benefits from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, as such, proceeds from this unique culinary history book uh, will be channeled to support education pursuits of deserving youths in the community as well as supplementing supplement care uh, for the elderly and those in need. Uh, and by buying this book, uh, the audience uh, gives you members of the public a chance to uh, participate in our efforts to contribute and support the survival of this uh, hidden and less talked about uh, legacy, the Malakachetti community. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank you, Suen. I've been speaking to Roya Nandan Padiyashi, Vice President of the Malacca Chitti Heritage Association of Malaysia, as well as two writers of the Malacca Chitti Kitchen book, Julie Wong and Dr. David Neo. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcasts on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.